I would invite you please to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 9. Tonight we'll be looking at verses 14 through 19. Mark 9 verses 14 through 19. Once you've located that, I'll ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word if you're able. And when they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately when the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed. And as they ran up, they were greeting him. And he asked them, what are you arguing with them? One of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground And he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. And he answered them and said, O unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. When he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around, foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the boy's father cried out and was saying, I do believe. Help my unbelief. Now when Jesus saw that a crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him, and he stood up. And when he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Please be seated. I can feel the pain of the disciples in this story. I know the feeling of trying to do something for the Lord and seeing your efforts come to nothing. That's what they did here. They tried to cast the demon out of this man's son. And they were not able. I I know what that's like. To set out to try to do something good. To set out to try to do something for the Lord. To do something valuable for the kingdom. And find myself unable to accomplish much of anything at all. Without power. Without strength. Without resources. I know what that's like. Tonight we're going to learn an important lesson about serving the Lord. We're going to learn something that will always lead to failure. In trying to serve the Lord. 
And on the flip side, we're going to learn what is necessary if we have any hope of succeeding in doing something of value for Christ and for the kingdom. How do you succeed in serving Christ? As I mentioned this morning, the second half of Mark's gospel pictures Jesus as the suffering servant. The key verse for this part of Mark is found in Mark 10, 45. Jesus said the Son of Man did not come to serve, but, excuse me, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is pictured here as the suffering servant. But what we find out as we walk through these chapters is he has also called his disciples to serve and suffer for his name. It's not just what Jesus came to do. It's what we are to do in following him. Serve him. Suffering if necessary. There was a critical lesson that Jesus' disciples needed to learn about serving him. A lesson without which they would not be able to accomplish anything good for the kingdom. And the lesson has to do with the necessity of faith. The necessity of faith in serving God. Now, I don't mean faith in the sense of believing in who Jesus is. I don't mean that kind of faith. I mean faith in the sense of humble dependence on Him. Relying on Him. Let me try to explain what I mean. What is necessary if we're going to serve Christ and have any success at all is we acknowledge that He is our only sufficiency. He is our only source of strength for service. He is our only source of wisdom for service. The kind of faith I'm talking about here that's required to serve Christ successfully is not a confidence in self, in my abilities, my gifts or talents or resources. No. It's having no confidence in me, having confidence in Christ alone. The kind of faith that I'm talking about is an absolute reliance on Him for the resources to serve and the strength to serve and the wisdom to serve. And that's a, a lesson that the disciples needed very much to learn the necessity of faith. Faith that is exercised in humble dependence on Jesus. And if I were going to summarize the message of this passage, that's it. What's the lesson? To succeed in serving Christ, you must exercise faith by humbly depending on Christ. Now, there are several things I want you to notice as we look at this text together. And here's the first one. I want you to see the failure to exercise faith by humbly depending on Christ. The failure to exercise faith by humbly depending on Christ. When we come to verse 14, Jesus and the three Disciples who were with him on the mountain of transfiguration, Peter, James, and John. They have now come down the mountain. They have arrived back where they left the rest of the disciples, the other nine. 
And they find that the nine are having a dispute with, it says, the scribes. The scribes were experts in the Jewish law, the religious leaders of the day. And when it says they were arguing with them, the, the word, in, it has the note of hostility. In other words, basically the religious leaders were coming after the disciples. They were being hostile toward them. As you know, they often were with Jesus, attacking him. Well, they had now begun to come after the disciples. And Jesus wants to know in verse 16, what are you arguing with them? Why are you coming after them? Why are you being hostile toward my disciples? And that's when a man from the crowd speaks up in verse 17. Teacher, I brought you my son possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. In other words, the man was demon-possessed and the spirit caused him to be able to, to, to be unable to speak. And if you look a little further down, you find out in verse 25, he was also unable to hear. So it, it's a spirit that made him deaf and mute. But that's not all. Verse 18, whenever the spirit got a hold of him, he would have a seizure. What looks, would be described kind of like an epileptic seizure. He would fall to the ground. He would foam at the mouth, grind his teeth, clench his teeth, and he would stiffen out. His body would become stiff, much like you would see in an epileptic seizure. But that's not the problem. The problem is not the demon-possessed boy. The problem is at the end of verse 18. I told your disciples to cast it out, and they could not do it. That's the problem. But I want you to pay attention to something. I want you to look at this. I don't know if you caught this in verse 17. Teacher, I brought you my son. The, when the man came, he was bringing his son to Jesus. What's the problem? Jesus wasn't there. Jesus was up on the mountain being transfigured before Peter, James, and John. So the man, seeing Jesus' disciples there, apparently assumed they would be able to do what their master was able to do, what their Lord and teacher was able to do. So he said, look, you're his disciples. You cast the demon out of my son. And they tried. But they failed. The question we immediately ask is why? Now, when you look down in verse 29, you find one reason why. But that's part of a bigger reason. Jesus says this kind can only come out by prayer. But that's part of a larger reason. If you read the same account, this same story as occurs in Matthew's Gospel. And if you read it there, what you find out is when they asked Jesus, why couldn't we cast it out? He says, because of your little faith. Because of your little faith. And if you'll pay attention to verse 19, what did Jesus say after the man told him that he, the disciples couldn't cast out the demon? 
He said, O oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Bring him to me. You can hear Jesus' frustration. O oh, unbelieving generation. You could say faithless. O oh, faithless generation. Now who's he talking to? Well, he's obviously talking to the disciples. But he's also talking to the scribes who had no faith in Jesus. He's obviously talking to the man who later said, help my unbelief. He acknowledged he struggled with unbelief. And he's talking also to this crowd because he refers to a generation. He refers to basically to everyone there. The problem in the whole situation was a lack of faith. But here's something I want you to think about. The disciples had previously been successful in casting out demons. I don't know if you remember back in Matthew chapter, uh, excuse me, back in Mark chapter 6, Jesus sent out the 12 two by two. And it says in Mark 6 verse 7, he summoned the 12 and began to send them out in pairs. And he was giving them authority over the unclean spirits. So they had been doing this before. They had gone out and cast out demons. And they apparently just assumed they would be able to do it again. But the key thing to notice back in Mark chapter 6 verse 7. Is it says Jesus gave them his authority. What's the problem in this story? Why did they fail? Because in this instance they were acting like it was their authority. They were acting on their own as if they were the ones that had the strength and power and authority to cast out this demon. In other words, where was their faith? In themselves. Their confidence was in themselves. They just assumed they would be able to do it. In other words, they failed to humbly rely on Jesus' authority and Jesus' power. You understand what I'm saying? Listen, our failures when we try to serve the Lord and it comes to nothing, very often what will lie at the heart of it is a failure to humbly rely on Jesus. We attempt to do something for the Lord, but we attempt to do it in our own wisdom. We attempt to do it with our own abilities and power and our own effort. We attempt to do it with our own resources. As if somehow in and of ourselves we are competent to accomplish things for the kingdom without his authority, without his power, without his provision. Listen, and when we set out to try to do something, no matter how good it is, and what they were trying to do was a good thing, amen? It was a good thing. The problem isn't they were trying to do something bad. The problem is they tried to do it on their own, apart from 
faith and confidence in the ability and power and authority of Jesus. Listen, we can try to do wonderful, great things to see our church be established and grow and to try to reach people. But as long as we try to do that in and of ourselves with our own wisdom and our own strength and our own resources, as long as we don't completely rely on Jesus, it always comes to nothing. Not by might, nor by power. Somebody finish it. But by my spirit, says the Lord. It's only by him. So the first thing we see here is a failure. To exercise faith by humbly relying on Christ. Now, the next thing I want you to notice in verses 20 through 27 is this. What we see here is the motivation to exercise faith by humbly depending on Christ. We see something here that's going to motivate us to depend on Jesus in all of our attempts to serve Him, do good for the kingdom. The first thing we notice right here is this is a difficult situation. In verse 20, they bring the boy to Jesus and you see what happens. As soon as the boy sees Jesus, the Spirit throws him into a convulsion. He goes into one of those seizures. What's going on? Well, you, you remember from studying Mark earlier this year that these spirits know who Jesus is. These demon spirits know exactly who Jesus is. So when they see him, they react. And he goes and he, he throws this boy into a full conversion, an absolute fit. When he sees Jesus because he knows who Jesus is and the authority he has. But notice this question in verse 21. Jesus asked the boy's father, how long has this been happening to him? And the man says, from childhood. Now here's what I want you to think about. Why does Jesus ask how long this has been going on? What difference does it make? Well, here's the, the real reason behind it. It's so that you and I can see this is a desperate situation. This boy's been like this since he was a small child. It's been a long, long time. And, and it's even worse, verse 21. Excuse me, verse 22. You, you see that the demon often tries to throw the boy into the fire and the water to destroy him. In other words... The demon is trying to kill this boy. The only thing that's kept this boy alive is the father or some other close member of the family has stayed by him and when the demon tries to cast him into the fire, the water drown him, they help him, they rescue him. Now here's a demon who's been in this boy since he was a small child and is trying to kill him. Jesus wants us to get the picture. This is a serious situation. This is a difficult situation. But the thing I want you to notice next is really the heart of the story. Look at verse 22. The man says to Jesus, after he tells him how bad it is for his son, he says, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. You see a hint of doubt there? If you can do anything, please do something 
He didn't even say if you can heal him completely. He said if you can do anything, even if you could help us just a little, do something. Now why does he say if you can? The fact that this man brought his son to Jesus in the first place shows us that he had at least had a measure of faith. He came to Jesus because he believed Jesus could do something. But after this debacle with the disciples and Jesus' followers prove unable to do anything, he's not so sure anymore. He's left not without faith, but he's left with a faith that's mingled with doubt. He's not completely without faith because he still asks Jesus to help, right? If he didn't have any faith at all, he wouldn't even bother asking. But he still says, if you can do something. Verse 23, Jesus says, if you can, all things are possible for him who believes. Now here's a question I want to pose to you. Why are all things possible to him who believes? Is it because of the power of faith? No, it's because of the object of faith. Faith in and of itself is not a power. It's the object of faith. It's who you put your faith in that has the power. And he says, if you'll trust and rely on me, anything's possible. That's what he's saying. If you'll believe me, anything's possible. If you'll rely on me, anything is possible. Verse 24, immediately the boy's father cried out and was saying, I do believe, help my unbelief. You catch what he says? I believe, please help my unbelief. In other words, I, I do have faith, but I also have doubts. Now, is that contradictory to say I have faith, but I also have doubts? Is that contradictory? No. Because the same thing that this man said was true of him is true of you. And it's true of me. Listen, for all of us, our faith is mingled with doubts. That's the human condition. This is a prayer all of us could say, I do believe, Lord, please help my unbelief. And notice what happens. Verse 25. Jesus saw that a crowd's rapidly gathering. He rebukes the unclean spirit and says to it, You mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. After crying out and throwing him into convulsions, it came out and the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said he's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he stood up. I want you to get the before and after picture of this boy. Go back to verse 20. He's having convulsions. The spirit throws him on the ground. He's rolling around. He becomes rigid. He's foaming at the mouth. Now when you get down to verse 26, the boy is absolutely dead still. He's so still that people think he's dead, but he's not dead. 
Jesus raises him up. You see the picture before and after? From in a raging fit to absolutely calm and still. This is an absolute healing. Supernatural. He went from fully demon possessed and under the control of this demon to completely cured, completely calm. How? By the power of Jesus. And here's the thing we have to catch. It is not because of this man's great faith. Because what's the last thing this man said before Jesus cast out the demon? I do believe. Help my unbelief. What one Bible commentator said is, may help us. The father becomes a believer, not when he amasses enough faith, but when he rises, excuse me, when he risks everything on what little faith he has, when he yields his insufficiency to the true sufficiency of Christ. In other words, Jesus doesn't act in power when this man finally musters up enough faith. No, no, no. He heals the boy when the man takes what little faith he has, as imperfect as it is, and he puts it all in Jesus. Acknowledging his doubt. He says, my faith is imperfect. Please, please do something. Why is this encouraging? Because it's not perfect faith that has power to serve and accomplish things for God. It's a faith that just humbles itself and depends on Jesus. It's a faith that says, Master, I can't, but you can. It's, it's a faith that says, I can't accomplish anything of value but you can I don't have the resources but you do I don't have the wisdom but you do I don't have the strength but you do I don't have the talent but you do listen we're talking about simply yielding our insufficiency recognizing our insufficiency that's the humility part that's the humble part recognizing our own insufficiency and looking to him to do what we can't do that's the dependent part Humbly depending. That's the kind of faith the disciples lacked in this story. When this man brought his son to be healed, the disciples really should have looked and said, we can't do anything. We're weak and miserable on our own, but Lord, you can. Would you please? But they didn't. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. The Apostle Paul said, By the grace of God I am what I am, and His grace toward me did not prove vain. But I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Do you hear what Paul said? I worked harder than all of the others, but it wasn't me. It was the grace of God with me. Paul recognized that his work was necessary, but apart from the grace and strength of God, his work was nothing. You and I have to do the work. We have to work. But when we do, we acknowledge it's not 
I, but the grace of God with me. Paul humbly depended on Christ for everything he had to do. The story of this man is so encouraging because as imperfect as his faith was, Jesus showed that he will respond to people who will come to him and exercise faith in him by humbly depending on him, acknowledging our insufficiency and his sufficiency. And there's one more thing I want us to notice as we look at this passage. The, the third thing I want you to see here is the way to exercise faith by humbly depending on Christ. We saw the failure to exercise faith. We saw the motivation. What's the motivation? Because our faith doesn't have to be perfect. We just have to come to Jesus in humble reliance. That motivates us. And finally, we want to see the way. How do we exercise faith by humbly depending on Jesus? Look at verse 28. When he came into the house, after the incident's over and Jesus and his disciples get wherever it is they're going to stay for the night, his disciples started asking him, why couldn't we cast it out? Why did we fail? He said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Now, it sounds like he's speaking of demons as if they're in different classes. He says this kind, as if there are different kinds of demons that require different measures to cast them out. That's not really the picture. That's not what exactly what he's saying. What he's saying, what he's trying to point out is the fact that no demons can be canceled in merely human strength. You can't cast them out. You can't tackle demons in human strength. This kind this kind of spirit, these evil spirits can only come out by prayer. What's the point? Think about this. The disciples didn't pray. What? They set out to cast out this demon, but they didn't pray. What does that tell us? The disciples' problem is a loss of their sense of dependence on Jesus. You understand? They didn't feel the need to pray because they felt like they had the authority and ability to do what was necessary without looking to him and relying on him. They forgot that they're completely reliant on Jesus. See, Jesus had the authority. He had the power to cast out even a legion of demons with only one single word. But the disciples' authority is a delegated authority. In other words, our authority comes from Jesus. We don't have the authority Jesus had. We rely on his power, on his authority. What that means is we have to acknowledge our dependence on him. That's what the disciples didn't do. They didn't pray because they didn't recognize they were 100% dependent on Jesus to be able to do what they were trying to do. How do we serve Christ? We serve him with a constant awareness of our own inadequacy. You understand? 
We serve Christ with a constant awareness of our own inadequacy. We are not good enough in and of ourselves. We can never forget that. And it is that inadequacy. It is the realization of that inadequacy that drives us to pray. Because we know in all that we try to do, John chapter 15 and verse 5 is going to prove true every time. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Nothing. That's what drives us to pray. Failing to pray is a recipe for failure. Failing to pray is a recipe for failure. Somebody said it this way. You can do more than pray once you have prayed but you can't do more than pray until you have prayed. That's why on Wednesday nights we've been trying to dedicate our time to praying. Why? Because if we don't, nothing else happens. Of all that we want to accomplish, of all the good we want to see, no matter how hard we work, if we don't pray, it all comes to nothing because it is in praying that we show that we understand that we don't have the ability to accomplish anything when we set out to work and we're not praying we're saying we think we can do something on our own but when first and foremost we come before God on our knees and we give ourselves to dedicated time of prayer ongoing constant continuous prayer then we act. Then we're showing that we, we are working, but we're working in humble dependence on your strength, Lord, your power, your sufficiency. So the first and foremost thing we have to do if we want to accomplish anything for the, anything for the kingdom is we have to pray. We have to pray as if everything depends on it. Why? Because everything depends on it. Jerry Falwell said it this way. All of our failures are prayer failures. To succeed in serving Christ, you must exercise faith by humbly depending on Christ. The way we acknowledge our humble dependence on Christ is through prayer. It's when we acknowledge before God that we are not enough, only He is. It's when we take the time consistently, constantly, over and over and over again. God, would you please come in power during this worship service? We just take for granted so much. You ever wonder 
maybe why we don't see God do more amazing things in, in our gatherings? I wonder how much time we're spending asking Him to. Huh? We all want God to do good things for this church to grow us and strengthen us and help us establish us so that we'll have a future. We want to see more people come in. And we may give a little minute or two of prayer here and there, but are we really, really, really seeking God's face in prayer about the health of our church? Are we really praying as if everything depends on it? Are we really giving ourselves to prayer that way, both at home and here at the church? When we're alone and when we're together, are we really praying as if we really understand that apart from Him, we can do nothing? Apart from Him, we can do nothing. Let me tell you this. An hour of prayer followed by five minutes of work is a lot better than five minutes of prayer followed by an hour of work. Why? Because what makes the difference in our work is God. And all of this comes down to this simple thing, church. We have to pray. We have to pray. As if our church depends on it. As if the future of our church depends on it. We must pray. Why? Because the future of our church depends on it. If we do not pray in humble dependence on Christ, we will die. We will fail. Because we don't have what it takes. I don't have some fancy marketing scheme that can attract people to the church. I'm not creative. I know how to preach the Bible and that's all. I'm not good at anything else. I don't have much of a personality. Never going to be a game show host. I know how to preach and teach the Bible. and For everything else, we're going to need God. And we're going to need God for that. Without Him, I can't, I can't even do this. Oh, church, we have to pray. I beg of you, would you come to church on Wednesday night at 6 o'clock so we can come together and pray? That's what we're going to do. We're going to come in, we're going to take requests, and we're going to spend the rest of our time praying with a prayer list to guide us. Would you come at 9.15 on Sunday mornings and meet us in that room right back there behind this baptistry and join us praying for the Sunday morning services? 9 o'clock. For we had five of us pretty regular coming. One of them died yesterday, so we're down to four now. We'd love you to join us to succeed in serving Christ. We must exercise faith by humbly depending on Christ. Let's pray.